You are listening to the weekly sermon from Elevation Community Church in Blanchester, Ohio. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and other resources, please visit myelevationcc.org. We're studying in the book of Ephesians. Uh, We've been in the book of Ephesians for uh, starting last week, and we're going to continue for the next several weeks. And it was under the um, decision of the leadership that this would be a good book to go to as far as helping us to re-examine who we are uh, as a church, because this is one of the churches, of course, that Paul wrote to. Uh, It wasn't a church that didn't have problems. Uh, It had problems as well. As we see uh, in the book Revolution, Revelation, I re- referred to last week that um, it was the church that was written to them, actually by John, but Jesus was saying the words that this was the church that had eventually lost its first love, which is that deep love for God, that deep love for one another. And uh, so it is, again, a church that has had its challenges But as we look at these words today that we're going to look at in chapter 2, this is kind of a second part to what I talked about last week. Last week we started off with the whole idea of being uh, who our identity is. Who are we? Who are we really? And, And it can apply, of course, to the church universally, but it can also apply to churches collectively or at least individually in a given area. And as we're going through some of the transitions that we're going through, I think it's important for us and that we look at ourselves and say, who are we really? What, what are we about? What, what, what is at the core, at the heart of who we are as far as God wants us to be from his word? Now, a lot of churches kind of focus on certain things as they go on and, and minister and, and do the things that they do. And and, and the same will likely be for us here as we move forward. But there are some core things that we see in Scripture that said this is who you are, and this is who you are to be. And sometimes we forget those things. We forget that there was a certain identity that God had originally planned for us. And so last week I talked about looking at our identity a little bit, and then this week is also kind of that focus, but maybe a little deeper, maybe a little bit more specific, that we may know these words. In fact, these words I'm going to share with you this morning are probably words you have heard many times before, because they're often the words that are used in sharing the gospel and helping people to understand a little bit more deeply what has been provided for them through Jesus Christ. And sometimes we take these realities for granted, and we need to be reminded of this. And so a way to maybe label this is that this is the DNA of the church. Last week I talked about there are different ways that we know our identity, whether it be a fingerprint, whether it be a a license that we carry in our wallet, or or some other thing that we identify ourselves with. For example, when someone comes up to you and and they introduce themselves, they, they say their names, and you say your name, and one of the first things that people ask are, what do you do? What do you do for a living? Because a lot of people have their identity just in their occupation or whatever they do in life. 
But how many of us, when people ask that question, say, what do you, tell me a little bit more about you. What do you do? Do you ever think about, I'm a follower of Jesus? Do you ever think about, I just, I, I'm a seeker of a relationship with Jesus. I'm a disciple of Jesus. You see, a lot of times we don't think about that because there are some things in our culture that kind of want us not to talk about that too much. And I'm not saying go out and, and, and tell people this in a superficial way, but in a real and genuine way as far as who I am. And then another way that we identify ourselves, of course, I alluded to that last week, is our DNA. That's within our blood and who we are, and they can do tests now, and, and they've gone really far in their ability to identify people th through this means. It's probably one of the most basic, fundamental ways to identify us, at least physically. But it doesn't touch the spiritual. The spiritual is a whole other thing, a whole other realm that, as far as I know, can't be measured by things that the world has. It's by God, and yes, it will reveal itself, who we are spiritually, by our actions and our attitudes and, and things of that nature. And so I'm going to look again at the text of chapter 2, and let us go into this and see, is this me? Is this really me both individually, and then is this about us as a church? Is this us about being a part of the bigger kingdom of God as we look at these words and examine ourselves a little bit and be reminded of these things, these fundamental truths. And so right from the get-go, as again, as this letter is written to this church in Ephesus, again, for those who weren't here last week, it's located in present-day Turkey near the Mediterranean Sea. Long ago, it was a port city that had Great commerce, they said, it said that there are about 500,000 people that lived there at one time, but now it's just a bunch of rocks and rubble and archaeologists are still ex excavating it, trying to see a little bit more about what that place was actually like. But in Ephesians chapter 2 and verse 1, I want you to note the first words, and, and then you, you. What is that you referring to? It's a second person plural. It's referring to a group of people, not one person, but a group of people. So as this was addressed to these people back then, as we read it today, it can be addressed to us. ECC. He says, and you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. That applies to us. It's reviewing where we have been in our lives before our decision to follow Christ. We were dead in our sins in which once you walked according to the course of this war world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who works in the sons of disobedience. I want you to do a quick flashback if you or one, of course, who have now committed yourself to Christ. Maybe you have not done that yet. But examine where you are or where you have been in your life and what has been your focus. 
Has your focus, was your focus, so uh, what this word says, was it about the world? Was it about your, what was important to you? What was in your world for you only and the sins that were a part of that? Maybe you're still struggling that, which, which we all are, but remember when your attitude or when your focus was, that's what's most important, this Jesus stuff or this God stuff, maybe not so much right now. But later on, you changed. As many of us have changed here in this gathering this morning. And not living according to the, the flesh and the son of disobedience. Yes, again, we still struggle with this. But has that changed as far as our focus? Among whom, verse 3, also we were all once, or all once conducted ourselves in the lusts of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature children of wrath just as the others. Think about that. Think about where you were, not to dwell there, but just for a moment to maybe appreciate things where you are now, to look back where you may have been in the past before the change of Jesus in your life. And again, maybe someone here this morning or a couple are still struggling a little bit, maybe haven't made that commitment, that decision to put that life behind and begin to change over and to be a follower of Christ. But here he's tell, telling them, and, and again, reviewing to us, this is where you guys were. This is where you once were, but it didn't stop there. And this is where we get into the real gospel, the good news of what God did, because we see these words in verse 4, but God. Whenever there's a but, you've heard this, there's, there's usually something else coming, and, and hopefully it's something good. And in this case, it's excellent. But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love, which he loved us even when we were dead in trespasses. Think about that. When we were messing up, when we were making mistakes, when we were thinking more of ourselves, when we were in sin, he was thinking of us. What tends to be the case when people are acting bad or living a life that's bad, they tend to stay away from those kind of people. And sometimes we're guilty of that as ourselves. When there are people who are creating all kinds of problems, maybe it be violent or just emotional uh, ways that they're, they're doing things to get at us, or at least in our world, all kinds of bad stuff. And we say, we, that, that, that's bad people. Stay away from the bad people. But with God, he was drawn to, quote-unquote, bad people, of which we were and still struggle to be or not to be as well. He says, I'm interested in those folks. I'm interested in the people, because that's everyone. Everyone is sinners. We know this. We, we are taught this, but we don't like to think about what we were. And God said, hey, I love you. I don't just say I love you, but I'm going to show it. I'm going to demonstrate it. I'm going to 
prove it to you how much I really do love you in a, just an amazing way. And he loved us even while we were in our trespasses. He didn't say, wait till you clean your act up and then I'll start loving you. Then I'll start showing you at least. He didn't say, oh, now you got to get your, your thing all right in your life and in your troubles and all those kind of things and then say, okay, I'm going to, okay, now we're good. No, he said, while you were in those trespasses, he made us alive together with Christ. And here's the word that you hear so much about. We sing a song, well, it's still one of the greatest songs, Amazing Grace. By grace you have been saved. By grace you have been saved. That's, that's the heart of the gospel message that we often preach and share and hopefully live out. by grace, and raised us up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. It wasn't just that he forgave us our sins. It wasn't that he just took that all away and said, because of your, you, even though you've done wrong and because of my love for you, I want to take it away. He's also putting us in a position He's putting us in a place. He's putting us in a place with Jesus Christ because, of course, Jesus Christ was the one that made it possible for those sins to be taken away. That in the age to come, he might show the exceeding riches, again, here's the word, of grace in his kindness toward us. And who's it all about? Christ Jesus. I want to illustrate it real quickly with, with a situation that I've used before that maybe bring it home. I, hopefully it'll do that. Imagine if you committed a serious crime that required you to potentially die, which for the most part would be murder. You kill someone. But let's add to the, the murder just a whole life full of ugliness and sinfulness and these kind of things. And you're brought into a court and the, and, and the judge, after all the, the trial goes on, they find you guilty. And, and not do they only find you guilty, but immediately you're going to have to go and be executed as a punishment. It's hard for so many of us to be there because many of us haven't been in that situation. But imagine if you can. And you're getting ready to go to whatever form of punishment, whatever form of death lies before you. And just as that is declared, someone walks into that courtroom and says, I'll take their punishment. I'll do it for them. I'll, I'll die in their place. Now, legally, it probably wouldn't wash too much in our court system, but imagine that happening. Because that's what Jesus did. And I know it's hard for some of us to be reminded of that sometimes in the midst of our problems. And it's definitely hard to see that when people are living in the lives that they're living today in the midst of their heartaches and issues and struggles. They're having a hard time saying, hey, I know about this, Jesus. I've heard about it. I heard about this grace. But man, what, what's it doing for me? What's it doing for me? I just, I don't understand it. I don't get it. And that is sad, and that's where we just keep praying and keep chugging along sharing this message and living this message out. It is this message 
because he gave himself, Jesus, for us and was willing to step in our place for the punishment that we deserve. This is at the, the heart of who we are. This is the heart of what Elevation Church is about, and this is at the heart of hopefully any church that has its basis on Christ and his life and his teachings, etc. And sometimes we forget it. Sometimes we take it for granted even, rather than being actually put in a place of awe about it. Do we really think, wow? Or is it because it's been taught to us and and, and it's been a part of our reading for so long in our faith system that we just kind of got used to it. But there are many people who need grace just as much as we do and haven't even begun to see it and figure it out who still need to hear the message. And we who have been beneficiaries of this, should, should just, that should be at the heart of the reason why we glorify God and sing praises to Him. Because where would we be without him and what he has done for us. Verse 8, and for by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's not something we can do. We know this. It's not something we can do to, to help us. So we like to, some of us who are kind of control freaks, you know, I'm going to take care of charge of this. I, I, I'm going to work this out myself. Can't. Can't do it. All you can do is accept it. All you can do is receive it. Receive the reality of it. Sometimes we still want to help God along in the, the things we do and the, the things that we say and how we live our lives rather than just accepting the grace and allowing that to be the thing that transforms our hearts, our minds, and our actions. For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's part of that is there's a belief that's involved in that. And it's not, again, of yourselves, but it's a gift of God. Again, I'm, I'm going to say here's a gift that's what it is. This is when you, be, when you become converted, when one becomes converted, all you are doing, in essence, there's much more to it in the details, but in essence, you're just you're accepting a gift. You're taking a gift that God has given you. And when we make the decision to follow Christ, we're accepting that gift and allowing that gift to have an impact on us and how we are and how we become. And how we live our lives. And that's what this is. A gift. And some people have a hard time with gifts, believe it or not. Some are very happy to receive, but others feel maybe weirded out by receiving a gift. Especially at certain times. But this is a gift we should definitely want to have and take freely and enjoy and consider it a great blessing. Not of works, lest anyone should boast. Or again, it's talking about not that we can say, hey, look what I did. Look what I did to achieve this, this acceptance by God. Look what I did to get my way to heaven and so on. For we are his workmanship. He's working on us, created in Christ Jesus for good works. Yes, we are to do Good things. We are to do good works. But here's the kicker. You probably heard this, but I want to remind you again. We do what we do not in order to get closer to God or to get to heaven. We do what we do because it's already been given to us. 
Got that? That's the reason why we live our lives. See, what is meant to happen when we become Christians, become Christians and follow him and be a part of his church is I want to do things now as a result of what he's done for us. Our hearts are transformed by the love and what he's done for us and the reality of that. And then that's why I, I want to learn God's word. That's why I want to teach people. That's why I want to serve my neighbor. That's why I want to suffer sometimes even for the cause of Christ, because of what he has done for us. And in that is the reason why we do certain things, referred to in Scripture often as works. Believe it or not, we may accept that reality, but there are still people, even today, I have talked to and heard that the underlying message that they're grabbing hold of is, i got to do more, i got to do more, i got to do more, so that I can go to heaven. Well, let's develop a heart or allow the Spirit to develop a heart in us that says, no, it's because what He's already done that wants me to be excited about doing for others and living for others and ultimately living for Christ. Created in Christ Jesus for the good works which God prepared beforehand that we should walk. Do you ever think about that? This is all part of God's plan. This is something he predestined. He already had plans for us. Again, this whole idea of being people who have choice, but yet God knows and is prepared way in advance, knows what we're going to do. I can't correlate those sometimes. I can't pull those together, but it's there. We work within his will. He's going to work it out. We just surrender. How it all works, I'm not sure. There's different teachings again and doctrines, but the main thing is, hey, he's, he's it, and just surrender to it as best we can. And then, verse 11, because of all this, therefore, and anytime there's a therefore, it's based on, you've heard this again before, what has been said previously. Remember that you, once Gentiles in the flesh, now you remember, you understand the Gentile thing, the Gentile, there were Jews and Gentiles, and before Christ, Jews were the, the, the way Jesus was coming or the way the Savior was coming, but then when Jesus died on the cross, all people were accepted. Of course, that was God's plan from the beginning. We see that back in Genesis where he said, all peoples of the world will come to me, not just through the Jews, but all. But it, he was going to work through the Jews initially. And then when Jesus died, it was, it was very well. But back then there was still this tension, this struggle between the Jews and the Gentile. Gentile a Gentile is just someone who's not a Jew. So if you're not a Jew today, you're a Gentile. He said, you, again, were once Gentiles. Now, he's referring to them in the flesh who are called uncircumcised. That was a big thing. They had to be circumcised. And again, there was this tension between the Jews and the Gentiles as Christianity was taking taking shape and beginning to start, if you will. There was still this struggle within those who were followers of Jesus and they became followers of Jesus, but still, man, what about those Gentile guys? How, how, can, we, how can we embrace those folks? Because aren't we not supposed to stay away from them? Are they included in this? And of course, the answer is yes. And so they would understand this terminology when they said, you were once Gentiles in the flesh who were called uncircumcised. What is called the circumcision made by the flesh of hands? He's referring to that fleshly circumcision. That at that time, you were without Christ. 
when you were following the world, essentially, when you were going down a whole other direction, you were like the Gentiles and you were without Christ. Being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. These are harsh words for these guys back then, by the way. He's basically saying, you weren't right. You guys were really messing up. He's, he's, he's pointing out their pride or calling out their pride in being Jews. He says, you guys were like the Gentiles before Jesus, ultimately. And so it was an insult in a sense, but he was trying to help them understand the significance and the severity of where they were and the significance of what Jesus has done for them. Sometimes we don't get that in our culture in our time, but that's what he was dealing with here. Having no hope and without God in the world. That's where they were. That Stop there. If that was it, they were without hope. Talking to the people that he's addressing this to. And though the specifics may not apply to, uh, to us, he's still talking to us today. Because again, we were people of sin and we still struggle with sin. But the difference was we were okay with it, for lack of a better way of putting it, maybe. That we were okay in our sin. Versus, no, there's something wrong and something needs to change. But now in Christ Jesus, you were once far off, but have been brought near by the blood of Christ. I love these next verses. Because I think here is where we're getting into the heart of the matter of what Jesus did on the cross. If you were asked the question, why are you a Christian? Why do you believe what you believe as a Christian? How would you answer that? I don't want you to answer out loud, but you think about it. I know what a lot of people say. A lot of people say, well, I don't want to go to hell. We'll go to heaven. And it's still out there, though there's some changing about this. There's some challenges to that, that being the main reason. And I'm not taking away from that being an awesome reason, but is that the main reason why we are followers of Christ, of God? Is that the reason why we study the Bible, come in a building like this and worship Him, just say, hey, I can look forward to heaven, 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 heaven. Or is it something much deeper? I think it's much deeper. Or at least should be, if you will. Going on verse 17. And he came and preached peace to you who were afar off and to those who were near. For through him we both have, and I have that word underlined, access by one spirit to the Father. Access. I want you to think about someone who you might want to meet today, in today's world. If you had a chance to meet someone, Taylor Swift, just thought I'd ask. Anybody? That's the big, yeah, you know what I'm talking about. The president, a celebrity, movie star, someone's powerful, someone's really up there, someone, uh, you name it. I would guess everyone has at least one person that they would like to meet today. How many of you would have access to that person in all likelihood? Nada. 
unless you had some connection. You couldn't just go ring the doorbell of the White House and say, can I talk to the president? You, you, you can't go up to Taylor Swift's house and say, hey, can we have a chat? Maybe we have, you know, I brought some donuts and coffee with you today. Let's have a, you know, powwow. There are people that other people, for better or for worse, do not have access to. And at one time, the people of God had no access to him except for the sacrifices, the bloods and goats, and most of the time that was just one guy that would go in once a year to make a big sacrifice, and he did it with shaking in the boots because he might lose his own life because, remember, the teaching was anyone who sees God will die because of the disconnect due to the sin barrier. You see, because of sin, we could not get close to God. We could not freely just experience him But what Jesus did gave us access to God. The main reason, hopefully, we should want to be followers of Christ as individuals and as a church is because we have access to him. We have relationship with him. We talk with him. We know him. We listen. The spirit is living within us now. All of that speaks intimacy that was never before possible. Even, and I know it's a hard thing sometimes because we're people who are very tangible by nature. Well, I, I, yeah, I hear that. I see that. I know that, Kevin. Yeah, yeah, that's what it says. But I can't touch him or I can't see him. But that's where through faith. But we now have that access to the Father. And that's really the gift. That's the one, that's, you know, when Jesus died, it said, okay, now you can come in and now you can hang out with God in a much deeper, intimate way than ever before. And you don't need a bunch of dying animals and the stench and all that stuff that goes with it anymore. That's why when Jesus died on the cross and the temple from the top down ripped, it was basically right away saying, come on in folks, access is available now. Because, again, sin was that barrier. One more illustration. Imagine someone who you love is put it somewhere where they're, and we're hearing about it in the news today, where someone, people are being kidnapped. People, of course, are in prison. And there's someone who you dearly love. Some during COVID had to be isolated from the rest of the, their families at times. And all they long to have is access to them. And when they did, it brought them great joy and great pleasure. And remember or imagine when finally the gate, the wall, the whatever barrier there is, is lifted and said, now you can have access. And that's what we have with God. Verse 14, for he himself is our peace. He's talking about peace in two ways, our peace with him, but he's also talking about the peace that is bringing together the Jews and the Gentiles. Because again, this was an issue that was still in the culture at that time. He made one who has made one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in his flesh the enmity 
that is the law of commandments contained in ordinance so as to create in himself a new man, a new people from two, thus making peace. And here it again is those words that goes with having access. Verse 16, and that he might, that he might reconcile, allow you to be made up again with who we were meant to be in relationship with from the very beginning. Do you get this? In, when the world was created and there was Adam and Eve, the design was for God and mankind to have a deep relationship. And when sin came into the world so quickly thereafter, bam, the barrier dropped. And it took all those years for it to be worked out in Jesus' coming. That's significant. And now we have that barrier taken away. Not only taken away in our relationship with God, but in our relationships with one another. That's why today Christianity is for all people, all races, all nationalities. We are to be people who want all people to be a part of the kingdom because that's what God has wanted. It's not just for America. It's not just for this nation or that nation. Yes, it's even for those who are struggling right now in the world today, which we're hearing in the news. Not to say that we accept that behavior and teaching, but those are human beings God loves as much as he loves anyone in this building right now. And it's designed for all people to come to him. And that's the beauty of this. But so many people may know, the, know it in in the intellectually, but it may have not reached their heart yet in some ways. And so that animosity is taken away. The law of commandments contained an ordinance so as to create in himself a new man, a new person, both individually and as a group from the two, again referring to Jew and Gentile, thus making peace and that he might, again, reconcile the people to himself. And then we go on towards the end of this verse or this chapter. It says, now, therefore, you are no longer. This is, this is, a, this is making it clear who we are, our DNA. Because of what is happening, he says, now, therefore, you, you, ECC, you, whoever else, whatever church reads this, are no longer strangers and foreigners, but are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, having been built on the foundation of the apostles. That means what they have done and what they have taught and the prophets and, of course, Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. As you know, in building, which I'm not a great expert, but the cornerstone was the stone that was put down that shored up the way the rest of the structure was going to be built. And that's what Jesus is. In whom the whole building being built and fitted together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In whom you also are. I want you to note this. You are the temple. Built together for a dwelling place of God. In the spirit. He is so close to us that he dwells within us. That concept before Christ, that concept in the Jewish system would have been not only foreign but probably blasphemous 
In fact, many did think that. How can God be that closer? You have to go through the temple. You have to go through the priest. He messed with their system horrifically, but it was what it was all about. And this is an awesome, wonderful thing that we have. And hopefully we appreciate it. Hopefully we love it. We desire it. We want this. Notice how the message puts it. I shared this with you in a couple verses last week, and I want to share it with this, this verse as well. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got there. Regardless of how you got here, you're part of it. He loves you. And what he is building, he used the apostles, the prophets for the foundation. Now he is using you, you people, us, us people. He's using us, fitting you in the brick by, in brick by brick, stone by stone. We're being built up with Christ Jesus, again, as the cornerstone holds it in its parts together. We see it taking shape day after day. A holy temple built by God. All of us being built into the temple in which God is quite at home. I like those words. God's at home with us. Yes. He feels, man, I'm at home with you people. I'm at home in your hearts. I'm at home in your lives because we're together. We're family. The Spirit's in you and I'm just, I'm just glad to be there. There's another verse of scripture that's not in this book, but I wanted to share with you as well from 1 Peter that kind of puts it a little bit more, and this is all part of defining who we are. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verses, or chapter 2 and verses 4 through 10, it says, Coming to him as a living stone, rejected indeed by men, but chosen by God. And pre, 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 I'm sorry, Prius, you are having, you are living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifice acceptable to God through Christ Jesus. You're a chosen generation. Think about that. A chosen generation. You are a royal priesthood. You talk about the priesthood in the, under the old system, but you're a priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim his praises or the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. This is another verse that makes it clear, saying who we are. We're royal priesthood. We're, we have all these blessings. We have all these things in God. We're, we're like this temple. We're it. And this is wonderful. This is great. We should be thankful for this. We should praise God for this reality. And he's continuing to work in this group here as he works in other groups of his church collectively. Now, I want to say one more thing 
to help us get this. Because as we looked at these last couple of verses in particular to help to see who we are, we've got to realize that the church, again, is the people. It's not this building. You've probably heard this, but please let us be reminded it is not about the structure. You are the church when you're meeting in a small group somewhere. You're, in the, you're the church wherever else you are. When someone asks you, where's your church? What do you point to? This building. This building. Many people point, yeah, I, I, go, I go to that church there in Blanchester. That, you know, that one, you, you, know, you do the curve, that's right. No, the church is at the restaurants, at the factory, at the school, at the facility for senior citizens. The church is in a home meeting together. The church is in a class. You see my point? The church is on the ball field. It's all over because the church is the people. And I hope we understand that and get that reality. And God is living in all of us. If these walls are destroyed tomorrow, we will still be the church. If it all goes, we'll still be the church. And I hope we understand that we are, or we, the church, are the people. And may we live our lives understanding that reality in how we live our lives with the idea, with the desire for other people to be a part of the church wherever they are physically as well. What a glorious teaching. It was something those folks needed back then. And it's something we surely need as well today. To be reminded of who we are as the church. And Jesus being the head of that church. And as we follow him. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you again for the blessing of who you are and how you work in our lives, Father. Father God, forgive me. Forgive my heart for not understanding, for not getting this reality at times in my own life, my own heart. Father, I pray that all of us here today will walk out with a renewed zeal for you, a renewed understanding of who we are, even with our problems, even with our sins, that you so freely forgive because of Jesus. God, I pray that this church will grow, that it will grow in its spreading out in the community and beyond, and that it won't be restricted by any kind of building or borders like that. God, I pray for each person here today as they desire more of you. I pray for that to happen, that they desire more, that we all value our connection with you. Father, I pray if there's 
people that don't understand relationship, that they will begin to understand relationship with you, that they'll begin to pursue that above all else. Father, be real to us in our hearts and our minds through faith. God, help us to trust and know that you are there, you're listening to us, you're walking with us, you're, you're available to us at all times. May we be that light that you are sending out into the community to share this message. Thank you, God, for the grace. Thank you for the love. Thank you for the mercy. Thank you for the, the things that we sometimes take for granted, God, but may we never take those for granted and always appreciate it. And may we, we, may we be motivated to live our lives as a result of what you have done. God, we lift this worship to you. We have, and we pray that it's all pleasing to you. For that is the most important thing, is that you are pleased and that we are satisfied with you above all else. We give you praise in the name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to our weekly sermon. If you'd like to go deeper with another resource from our church, please check out our weekly Impact Bible Study podcast as well. Both of our podcasts are available on iTunes, Stitcher, and SoundCloud.